Hello, everyone, and welcome to another E5 podcast. I am your host, Paul Meenan, and today I am in... I'm not flying solo, actually. I've got a, a, another co-host with me. This is your first time in the chair. Would you please introduce yourself? Hello there. My name is Tom Bickton. Anyone listening to this, you may uh, know that name. Um, Tom um, starred on Gary's Hit the Lights podcast. I believe it was episode eight our our neighbor um podcast um so you introduced yourself there and you spoke about your career and also working through the industry with dyslexia we're not going to talk about that on this podcast because um we would be totally unoriginal if we did that and we're trying to be original in these so i've got some uh some questions i want to ask stuff i want to debate um and the first thing i want to talk to you about what is your favorite thing to do in this industry so basically, I have one favourite thing which I like to do, which is in the whole entire of this this industry is learning, every, learning something new every day. Because I don't feel that I know everything that I need to know yet. So I'm learning new stuff every day um, from re picking up a catalogue um, through picking up a manufacturer specification. And learning something new because if you're not learning something new a day without learning is a day wasted and that's my view on that see i've got a i oh this is going to sound real double standard forgive me everyone for saying this part of me hates learning and i'll tell you why okay. um because i it's a weird one i i struggle pushing my own boundaries it's one of my weaknesses i suppose but i think the good thing about hanging around the likes of dave John Ward is they're so smart I genuinely genuinely mean this but there are days when I feel really stupid around them um and I, I can I can imagine John Ward's just nodding his head listening to this <laughs> but there are other days when I do my research and I know when I talk to them they'll sit there and go how the hell did he know that and I'm thinking yay that learning that hard difficult challenge of pushing yourself as we spoke about before we started recording the difficulty of pushing your own boundaries to learn so that you feel you're contributing something to that pool of knowledge or the expansion of someone else's mind is so fulfilling. And for me, if I was to ask, if, I, if someone asked me that question, what's my favourite thing? I would actually say it's a combination of learning, but more importantly, sharing the knowledge I do have, sharing the knowledge and the experiences I do have. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I always said at some point in my career, I'd like to share my knowledge, whether it be teaching or whatever, and then we eventually started doing these podcasts and me and Dave generally most nights are recording something or doing something together or John or, or Ryan or whoever's available. Um, and yeah, I find even in my day-to-day -day job, I love sharing my knowledge. The only thing that bores me, I think is just, um, is you almost feel like you're stuck on repeat, but sometimes that's not a bad thing, especially when you're meeting new people, new faces, because when you're sharing that knowledge for the first time, and they get it. It's the most exciting thing. It's just great to see their eyes open and go, oh, right. I get it. Because that's a great feeling when you you come to realize a set of principles or a theory or or something else like that. That's just me. Sorry, that's my thing. Go on. I, was, I, I completely agree with you. I think definitely with sharing is is fantastic thing to do because um, the other night we were talking about someone was um, on a, a, another sort of um, online forum um, that I am a member of um, on Facebook. Um, I was talking about um, to someone about a petrol station and he's designing it in, and, and doing all the configurations for it. And I said, oh, do you know why they put a, a roof on a petrol station? And he was like, to keep people dry. And I was like, no, it's, that's not what it's there for. It's actually there to keep the um, airflow through for the vapour. Um, from it, which is emitted from petroleum, so it doesn't um, stay in one area that ignites, which falls under the complex regulations for um, when you're designing electrical installations in petrol stations, in special locations. So I learned that through doing the course, but it was just it's one of those random knowledge questions that it just sticks in your head because it's such an interesting thing when you hear like little snippets of that you can go 
oh, I can pass that on to someone else who may not know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. I did not know that. So there you go. We're always educating. Even on these general chit-chat ones, we're still sharing knowledge. I really genuinely did. It makes sense, though. It really does actually make sense. Because that's where you're going to get your build-up. You put the roof, and naturally you will get, uh, you know, the wind will just direct itself under, and and it will increase its flow, and, and away it goes. It will carry everything away. That makes perfect that's sense. Why the, that, that's why they're always a um, specific pitch when you see them. So they're they're not always like a flat thing. They're no, always they're pitched. They're always pitched in different a- angles, and it all depends with where the wind flow goes. Because obviously you measure um, combustion sparking in microjoules, so the um, they do that on a, um, a specific chart. So when the uh, vapor rises to a certain level, that the, the ignition thing, they have to look at the airflow. So the roof is still designed and built in tivity. Listen here, listen here. There's no John Ward in this conversation or Dave Watts. Don't you start going getting super technical talking microjoules with me, pal. Honestly, what are you like? Um, no, that's really, do you know what? I didn't know any of that. And this the thing, I worked when I was, um, uh, when I was younger and I was working days and nights, you know, um, I worked on a petrol station. Actually, petrol station story for you. I worked on one job. My mate said to me, look, come on, it's good money. It's like £250 a shift or something. I was like, yeah, I'll have some of that. I went to a petrol station. It was somewhere right down southwest London way. And start shift, everyone was there. And it was like a 12-hour day. And the foreman turned around and went, right, um, you're doing this, um, Adrian, and you're doing this, Paul. And I was like, what am I doing? He said, oh, you're doing all the um, steel armors out on a bit of tray work down to where the inverters are going to be mounted. And you just mount that all, do all the tray work, do the armors. Fine, no problem. So I've got the tray up, got the armors cleated to it, um, got all the isolators in place, and the inverter brackets are already on. Happy days. Got the inverters, you know, all the cabling in. So I was like, right, I'll go gland them. And I'm doing well, you know, lunchtime. I'm thinking, where's all the glands? And the governor goes, I went up to the governor and he says, oh, yeah, they're in the skip. I went, what are they doing in the skip? He said, they're on the old machines. So what do you mean they're on the old machines? I've got like a three-core four mil and the old ones were like 20S glands, BW20S. And I was like, well, I need a CW, realistically, a 20 minimum, preferably uh, a CW25, you know, because I like a bit of space. I don't like to be silly. And um, he's going, oh, no, we, we, we don't buy glands for these jobs. So we just reuse the old crap. I was mortified, absolutely mortified. This is on a, a petrol station with high explosion risk, and he wanted to reuse 20-year-old glands that were shot on chopped armaments in a skip. And it was just, I, I, I walked. I just couldn't be arsed with that level of petty. I was willing to go out and buy them with my own bloody money for the sake of the time and the ball ache and everything else. But that's my that's my... That's my petrol station experience. But they do work long hours. It is hard work. And I'm hopefully it's it's moved on in quite a lot. It sounds like it has. Anyway, so that's your favourite thing to do, learning. Um, and you've given us a lovely gem of knowledge about um, Compex. Now I've got to ask you, what's the worst thing in industry or you've ever done in industry or, or the worst thing you see in the industry? Um, obviously, my story aside, because I've got far worse ones, but... Go for it. I would say it's career bullying. That's I've 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 been the hand of that um, quite a few times. I think that's that's the kind of um, pettiness that I've seen in the um, industry of late, especially with all these social media platforms as well. Um, they seem to become a more toxicity grounds where you know they're there to share and help one another with ideas when you ask things not to be belittled but there are some good ones out there that help you um you know so i think that's the worst thing i've seen i mean the the bullying that's now branching onto social media when you say did you say career bullying uh yes yeah, sorry career bullying and social media bullying so oh right yeah 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 yeah, uh, well, we did a podcast on bullying, and you know what? We could have done another one on on social media bullying and career bullying. Um, it is horrible. I worked. I do believe in karma. Um, I worked a little story. I don't know if I should sell this because if he listens to it, he'll kill me. Um, I worked f- for a manager at a certain rather large national company, and he was without a doubt a horrible, egotistical person who probably had good intentions. 
but actually made me feel really down. And I worked my backside off and he treated me and other people like dirt. He was condescending. He wouldn't develop me, wouldn't train me, but got everything out of me. And I made him look really good. And um, he's now unemployed. Karma's, oh. a, karma's a bit of a bitch there, really, isn't it? Um, and he was is. very senior. When I say very senior, I'm talking nationally very senior. And he's unemployed. And I just look at that as just karma incarnate, to be honest with you. Um, so what happens when you also take your finger off the pulse. But social media bullying, I'm kind of... Uh, I Honestly... Uh, Dave uses the term time thieves. Dan uh, does as well. Toxic people, whatever. I just think some people, I don't think there's such a thing as a bad person. I think there's just a bad background or a malicious intent or a level of jealousy or a level of sadness in the individuals that makes them want to lash out just to make noise and be heard and maybe have a group. I don't know, but it's... It breaks my heart. We we in E5, I'm telling you now, we constantly, constantly have to deal. If Dave was on this now, he would tell you the volume of bullies that we have. I mean, some of our trolls, I don't know what the word is, trolls or bullies, because um, bullies almost a compliment to some of these dicks. Um, some of the trolls we get, they even write to chief execs of national electrical organizations slandering us, which is hysterical uh because when we speak to them they go oh do you know this person i'm like oh they've written to you haven't they yeah i've had three hours on the phone i've had loads of you know snotty emails silly snidey posts um we have people take pot shots at all this time funny enough a lot of the trolls that i've engaged with on a one-to-one -one, like messaging them so if something gets i can see getting tense i'll go hello sir is there a problem this this is escalated this escalate you know what's going on a lot of them i've been able to de you know get over with we had one incident recently i'm not going to mention on what platform where we were being just attacked for no reason so i got the guy's number i rung him up and i started the conversation um quite aggressively probably too aggressively but i was boiling i was like my blood pressure was in the dna and and now we get on our house on fire you know, it was, we, we've come to a common understanding. And I genuinely, it makes me realize that most people fundamentally are good in nature. Some people probably think that what they consider as a bit of a jovial banter isn't banter. It destroys people. And I, and I can tell you now that some of the guys in E5, the minute some, when they get engaged with by trolls, they immediately go into depression. They go into depression. Because they don't want to handle it. They don't want to deal with it. They haven't got the strength because they're spending all their energy trying to help people, not get into stupid fights with people who don't want to do the work. And this is why we, as a group, use the terms level up, do the work. You can't have everything handed to you on a plate. And we get a lot of people bullying and hating us. When we first started, we had so many trolls. Oh, it's about money. It's about money. I haven't taken a penny, dude. Do you know what I mean? But it, it does wear you down massively. But then occasionally you do you dig it, you get a success story. I had one troll. Um, he, he, he called himself Sparky McSparkface, and um, we got on. We got on well. Three three hours on the phone. We got on well. Um, he was new to social media, but um, I, I just some of the stuff he used to write, I was like. I need to talk to these people. And when you talk to them, they're different. They're not, you know, it's the ones who hide behind the keyboard and stay behind the keyboard. You know, the ones that you just go, let me try and engage. And if I try and engage and they respond, great, we will build a rapport and we will come to a parlay for want of a better term. Okay. Cause I don't, I don't know you. I'm not in your life. You don't have to be in my, if you don't want to listen to these podcasts, don't listen. If you don't want to watch our YouTube videos, don't, don't watch them. It's really simple. We don't wish you or your families any ill will. Um, but, the ones that I have managed to parlay with, we get on fine. The ones who won't come from behind the keyboard, it's blocked now. It's blocked. They go into the category of time thief and they're just blocked. And do you know what? Sometimes when you block them, it's nothing personal, but my God, does it feel good afterwards? I mean, yeah, it, it definitely does feel good. I mean, I, I, I see also a lot of these, um, like this hate preaching on, on there as well. Um, I think someone the other day on a, on a social media platform was posting about this um, very horrible thing that had happened to an animal. And I was just like, 
look, mate, you know, why are you wasting your time posting this stuff? This is not relevant, you know, at all. Like, you're being blocked, and, and that's oh, it. And so I can actually, I can actually, de- I can actually defend that even because I did the same. I did the same. I think on that Twitter, I'm not going to mention his name because he's actually a sweetheart. Um, he screwed up massively on Twitter, um, and I actually, I actually spoke to him because um, um, he got a lot of abuse off a lot of people on Twitter who said, why are you... It was a very horrid... We're not even going to talk about the content in the video. No, no. Um, but it was a horrid, traumatising video. And he... Um, what he thought was was commenting on it, but what he actually did was retweet it and commented. Um, and he, and, he, and he, we had a long chat about it, and he openly said, look, I didn't realise I was doing it. I didn't realise it was popping up on timelines until it was too late and everyone was blocking me and barring me. And it really affected him. It hurt him because he wasn't... He was just as shocked as you and I, in all fairness. But it, I just said yeah. to him, listen, you need some time. Everybody will calm down eventually, but just just be careful. And that made me realise there and then that Twitter is such a vile, not for him and what he what he did, because it was truly accidental. I believe that. He's a sweetheart. But um, yeah. And it, all of his stuff previously has always been good intention, good intention. Um, he's not a nasty person. But some of the stuff on there is just horrid. I locked my personal Twitter account. And at the moment, me and the other guys are talking about walking away completely from from Twitter. Completely. If I could, I'd walk away from Facebook and Twitter tomorrow, permanently. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I've I've deleted my accounts a few times and set them back up because I like to interact. There are some really nice individuals on there who you know you form relationships with, friendships as well. You know, like you know you have a technical question, you can directly message if it's their specific field and they're always willing to help and have, you know, And that away. is what Twitter is brilliant for as well. It's that direct contact with other tradesmen, manufacturers, quick quick and easy. It's brilliant for that. It's not brilliant for the misinformed, mistaked engagement. The uh, Twitter is the most dangerous place for the interpretation of the written word because they don't sell so like, For instance, on YouTube, people can see our faces because somebody said, we want to see you talking. So we're now just putting this up on YouTube. It's great, our pretty faces. But uh, the written word can be so easily misconstrued, especially on Twitter, especially in limited characters. And I've seen Twitter chains and I've read through them and I've gone, wow, this is escalating. He doesn't mean that, but that bloke doesn't have a thicker skin or he doesn't have the social engagement skill level to realise it's banter. He's taking it severely and it's just kicked off World War Three on Twitter. And and that's why you, you don't see much now out of me unless it's like emotional gif. I talk in gifs now and they're only ever positives or humorous. I don't do anything else on Twitter. The best gifs though, because they're the fast show and that's one of the best shows on the planet. Oh, my, my favorite gif now is um, uh, um, uh, the guy from Jazz Club is the one where he does the nice. But I found a new one um, yesterday if you type into your gifts superb, he does loads of the different things that he did, about seven or eight of them, and then he ends with it. And that's the one I'm using from now on now. But I love gifts. I love them. They there is so much of a message you can you can have a conversation. I wish Twitter was conversations in gifts. Maybe that start would be, a new... that would be amazing. Giffer. Should we call it Giffer? Yes, start a new group up, call it Giffa, and then see how many people. You're not allowed to, there's rules as well. You, you can't know. talk unless it's in in GIF form only. It would, Yeah, it would be interesting, although people would eventually say, no, no, put text on it, and it'll be like, it'd just be like Twitter. I do find as well lots of fake accounts. Lots of fake accounts, loads of fake accounts. Um, I The minute I see an account and I don't think it's real, I just block them now. Although, I agree with you. There are a lot. I have recently had um, messages from like 11 and 12 year olds who want to change their consume units at home. <sighs> Scary stuff. Scary stuff. It's pleased to see 11 year olds that want to be tradesmen, but not at that age. Sit home and be, be a kid first. Because I tell you now, and everyone knows this, the minute you go into the trades, that fun friendship and school that's gone. It's hard graft, it's backache, knee ache. You know, it's it's stabbing yourself in the leg of a screwdriver. I've got so many scars on my left and right legs where my, my pockets, when I used to bend down on my screwdriver, my Irizola screwdrivers would stab me in the leg. It's mind-blowing. Who would have thought a, um, a Phillips screwdriver could be so lethal? But it, but it is. But um, when I was talking about the career bullying, um, I mean, we could go, that's a complete long, different, you know, podcast almost for, for about career bullying. But, 
what I mean is that um, in the extent of, you know, someone who wants to better themselves should be praised for bettering themselves, not yep. brought down. And, and that, that's kind of where I was going. With You're that. right. You're right. And, and I think I, I worked for people who, who bullied me and they would say it's for your own, it's for your own good. To a certain extent, the only I can understand there was times when I pushed and I wasn't ready because I hadn't served my time doing the management stuff or I didn't have enough experience. I get that now. So if someone comes to me and they're 23, 24 and they want to do this, that and the other, I will look at them and go, don't have enough experience. You don't have enough experience. You need you need to deliver. You need to go through. I, I, I'm a firm believer of people that come off tools. They need to go through a whole level of of experiences so they can understand the people who work under them. Um, I know that's not always the case. I see a lot of project managers who are 28, 29 year olds who will manage trades and don't have a trade behind them. And and they will always find conflict and issues and misunderstandings. The good ones embrace the people around them as an extension of themselves and they just absorb and learn and support and enable. The bad ones just go into fight mode. That's what they do. Um, it, it happens in a lot. And the construction industry is rife with it. Rife. Jealousy. Yeah, jealousy is a really, you know, sort of big key factor into it. But it's also feel it's intimidation to to some extent because you get some, you know, youngsters and people who are forced into position roles because, you know, oh, um, we need you to force in. Like, off you go. Get on with it sort of thing. And, you know, they're kind of pushed into a role that they're not ready for. Um, I mean, I've, I can only speak, speak from experience of a firm I work for. Um, the gentleman who became my tech in the company that I work for, he was way too young to be leading 10 blokes in, in the industry that we I was working in at the time, um, to the point that he used to come up to me, you know, after the shift and going, I'm, I'm not ready for this. And I was like, well, you need to tell him for this. And it got to the point where the guy had to take time off work with mental um, health problems and exhaustion. So, you know, from that point of view, shame on the company for doing that. But he should have put his hand up and stood up for himself. But sometimes it's a bit too late. Sometimes you don't know that you don't know to do it. Sometimes you don't have the social confidence, never mind the mental confidence, the knowledge confidence. When I came off the tools and got put in charge of jobs, I was, you know, yeah, I can do this. I can do this because I knew how to do the job. But I didn't know how to manage the men. I didn't know how to do all the other bits. And fine, I was allowed to learn. I was allowed to grow and develop. But the men certainly driven me. The men certainly ribbed me and took the mick. And, and in all fairness, they were doing it because it, it was another form of an apprenticeship. They knew that I would have to put up with this sort of rubbish. Um, and it was. It, it doesn't kill you. It makes you stronger, um, to be honest with you. And in construction, you need to be thick-skinned. You need to be tough. Just purely because some of the egos of the unintelligent that you and I both know, we've met people in our career that have worked their way up to very senior roles who have little to no technical knowledge, but may have a personality of a bull and will just chew people down and they try and talk and intimidate and bully and just say, I'm here to deliver milestones. I'm here to deliver dates. Shut up, Sparks. Just get on with it. They won't want to listen. That's I have to say, they're actually my favourite people in the industry because I like to bully them back. And that sounds really sick and weird. But I've met a couple of them and I have proper gone for them because I can't stand them. And they, they, they don't compare to my dad anyway. So well, we, we all have people that, you know, that we, we you know, in our in our life that we've all looked at and think, you know, you, I'm, I'm not going to stoop to your level. But sometimes, you know, to get even, you sometimes have to in that respect. Sometimes you can't walk away. No. You can't walk away. Um, right, moving on from this subject, because the worst thing in industry you could do an entire podcast on. Um, apprenticeships. You have done an apprenticeship, but your one was slightly different. Do you want to tell us about it? Yeah, so um, on the podcast I did with hit, uh, on for Hit the Lights, I um, brushed on where I did my apprenticeship, which was in the um, naval base in Portsmouth. Um, but my apprenticeship was for a ministry of defence company, which was a specific MOD um apprenticeship so what we did was we did the whole um you did a year of um filing making tools metal workshop um so what i did was my first year we got given a sheet of metal and we were told you're going to make a toolbox and you're going to learn about how to mark out how to drill how to screw 
it all in properly, how to weld it. And I, I looked at him, my friend, and I was like, I thought we were here to learn electrical. And, he, and the workshop manager said, you'll thank me for this because at the end of the day, you're going to be learning about how to use tools properly and how to cut metal and how to form shape. And it it was amazing. You know, this is stuff that they don't even teach. Yeah, I I I would love to have done that. My first year of my apprenticeship, I um, the first time I got properly taught, I think, was I was told to go and clip some cables and I used the wrong screws, the wrong clips, and basically everything wrong. And a whole run of cable fell out. And then eventually, I think it was the foreman at the time who pulled me aside and he said, what have you been taught? And I went, well, that's what I'm here to learn. And he went, right. And he went and found a double skin bit of plasterboard that was standing up, that the plasterers, it was a you know damaged piece. And he said, right, let's go and fix this. So he fixed it onto a, on, onto a wall. And he spent the entire day teaching me about screwdrivers and screws and fixings and he taught me about the different bits and the different heads and the different so slotted phillips crosshead etc all the different types uh the specials castle heads etc all the different types of screwdrivers and how they made putting a screw in the wall easy or hard so he'd say right pick up a screw and i'd go okay and it'd be a phillips screw and he'd give me a crosshead screwdriver and of course, it would shear the head, shear the head. It would slip out, it would slip out. And it was a pain in the backside because it was like a two-inch screw. So I'd go, okay. You go, right, now, try this screwdriver. So he gave me the right screwdriver. And it went like for a hot knife through butter. And he made me do that consistently again and again with hundreds of different fixings and different types of screwdrivers. And I did that for like two days. And at the end of it, he said, well, have you learned? I went, you've got to use the right tool for the right job then everything is easy. Everything is easy. The amount of ball ache and sweat that I was making using the wrong screwdriver, the wrong tool, I have 20 plus years later and it's still firmly ingrained in my head where that was in London or the guy's name and everything. Yeah, apprenticeships are key. Um, you sound like you've had a fantastic one though, making your own toolbox. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, a lot of the um, apprentices that we trained alongside were um, weren't necessary. We basically got you, when you, you start up for an apprenticeship, you don't just go straight into being an electrician in the MOD. You either you have to do a year of fundamentals, key skills of track, like um, it's like a, an engineering section. So um, you have work alongside um, MEMs from the Royal uh, Royal Navy. Um, who are coming into it um, because they the, the place the college where we did it is where the Royal Navy trained their um, junior engineers to come in so what we found was that a couple of the guys in my apprenticeship group weren't necessarily going into electrical some of them were going on to work on um, uh, like metal fab metal workshop or they were going to work on the um, uh, shipwright and and but this was the fundamental key building part before they would see whether you were able to you know cope with the syllabus that we were going to do for our apprenticeship so once we built the toolbox that left stayed on the bench and then our next key bit was to make another part which we'd have a cube of metal which would be so many diameters wide and we'd have to file it down to so many microns and it was it had to be like literally perfect if it wasn't chucked out and you had to start all over again and he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I think I got about three into it because I wasn't perfect. No one is. And I, I remember saying to the workshop manager, I said, like, why are we doing this? And he said, because we need to teach you the ways how to do it without the tools that make it easy for you. So if you do it the hard way, when you do it the easy way with a, with a tool that's going to make it easy for you, you appreciate it a bit more. And I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. But anyway afterwards when i was doing metal work in my electrical side it, you know i really appreciate it you know especially when you're filing around distribution boards and stuff like that i i'm and i mean this and i can put my hand up if any time i've done any metal work i guarantee anyone can run their finger along it and they won't cut themselves nice nice uh you you are right actually to understand the harder a job is the more you learn from it as mad as that sounds now one of the things that's always concerned me about tools certain tools make the job easier but they take away the engineering and the logic and the the almost what i would consider the fun like uh 
pyro stripping, glanding and armoured. There's always a quicker way now of doing it. But the trouble is, is in doing it the quicker way and allowing an engineered tool to do the work for you, you lose the engineering logic. You also lose the engineering skill and the hand-eye coordination and the judgment to do a quality job. So you know when you're scoring round an armoured? How many people have scored round an armoured? They've gone all the way around the armoured. And, of course, does it match up in the scoring? No. And then and they curse themselves. But that's part of that judgment, being able to make sure when you start scoring round an armoured so you can start stripping it and bending it, that you're absolutely bang on perfect all the way around it. Now we just get a clamp and spin it round. And I know a lot of people will be going, you're mad, they're brilliant, they're brilliant. I've got one of them tools. But But when you're learning, I think genuinely you should be doing it the hard way i don't think you should be learning squirrel cage motors unless you're going to be doing that um but i i genuinely think you should learn the fundamentals of the engineering judgment and the logic and the skill so that you can be better prepared so that when you go in and you use the tool the tool is for time saving not for skill reduction Absolutely. because there are times when you'll need you're only going to have a hacksaw and an armor and you're going to need to get it done absolutely i mean i i I completely agree with you with with that. I mean, um, I worked recently on a job um, when there was an apprentice from an air conditioning company who was drilling into some tray um, to mount a gutter bolt into it because he'd not lined it up properly. And the guy was drilling into this thing. It was spinning all over the place. And I said, well, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm I said, look, come here, take it off. And I said, look, this see this is called a, an auto punch. And when you tap it into the metal, it marks the metal and then you drill into it, and that will and that will guide you into where you need to drill your hole. And he went, "Oh, I've never seen that before." I said, "I said, look, take a picture of it, go and buy it. They're like four quid. They're not a lot." But he'd always been taught just wang it in, and it will, you know. So put a drill on a bit of metal and let it dance across. Yeah, all you've got to do is put a little divot in, and that divot is enough for the sharp end of that bit to sink straight into with a decent amount of weight behind it, and boom, straight through. Yeah, that that's what I, we see a lot. I've been seeing a lot of recent. I mean, um, recently we would there was a debate on social media about um, uh, using correct tools for armored glands, mm -hmm. um, and they were talking about should they use grips or um, spanners. Um, uh, it's uh, Richard who did. Um, uh, he was one of the hosts on this. I forgot his name. Richard Emery. Richard Emery, the legend, the bearded druid that is Richard Emery. I love him to bits. Yeah, he did this fantastic post um, about uh, using the right tool and armor glands, and he showed like the difference between you know one that had been used with the wrong tool and the yeah. right tool. And it's and it's shocking the amount of people that commented. They said, "Oh, I've always used um, water pump or grips to tighten them up," and I, I don't know if it's different training. If it's if it's the way you've been done, different training. Yeah, it's different you know, training. I'm not saying I'm my training was right. I'm not in any way because there's always a, a different way to do. Well, if you learn a bad habit, that bad habit will share. At the end of the day, that that will spread. Somebody will see if you learn a bad habit or a way of cutting corners, and people see it and they think, well, he he got, he got away with it. But you are right. You use water pumps, um, pliers on armor glands. People think because they've got a little curve around them, they'll bend round, and they won't. All it'll do is to just tear the edges to, to shreds. You're able to get a proper... I mean, I used... I used. I don't know if you remember them. Um, oh, what were they? Were they big Steinals? You know the big, massive, adjustable grips, the huge ones on steel armors? I think they were called... No, they weren't Steinals. Steinals were the probes. There you go. There's my brain going. It's going to mush. But, yeah, we we did. We weren't allowed to use water pump pliers on the armors we did when I was an apprentice. They were too, too bigger armors, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate when I did my apprenticeship. The um, because it was an MOD company that I was doing it for, we were given um, the tools to do um, the specific tasks that we were doing. So obviously, I've moved on. I've made my toolbox. I've made my square, my um, and and all the other tools that we've got to learn to make. You know, through to when we started my first year in electrical. So I had a very wide selection of tools from spanners and different types of screwdrivers. I mean, I had like a ten mil screwdriver my level one i mean like when i used to speak to you know um, apprentices and i was like oh do you have a 10 mil screwdriver and it, yeah it's for making holes in plasterboard and chipping off um you know and shunting over the tray and basket and everything and i was like well no mine's actually for undoing stuff but um you know it, it, it's, it's just i've actually skills. got a screwdriver that was made by the eastern electricity board in 1995 and its sole purpose is to fit in the head of a six mil roofing bolt do you know how many times people tried to steal that from me? 
honestly, the amount of times people try to steal it. And one bloke actually succeeded for three months, but I've actually got a screwdriver that literally is just for it fits perfectly in a mushroom head six mil roofing bolt perfectly. And you honest to God, once you've used it, you'll never, ever use anything ever because it just makes it so simple. I've still got that in my toolbox in my shed. I should probably give it away because I don't do it anymore. Actually, I might give that away. Uh, uh, 20 or 20 odd year yeah, 25 year old screwdriver that's still got it's brilliant <laughs> thousand volt insulated for like gutter bolts but that's like the old electricity board stuff everything was thousand volt insulated everything the allen keys everything i loved it um so you had a unique apprenticeship because i mean my missus bought me my first toolbox we were skint you know she used to sell printer parts for hewlett packard on tele sales when i started my apprenticeship and Bought me my first crappy tools and we didn't get our, any of our gear bought for us unless we were really lucky and we could book it to a job. And that was that was rarely ever. So you you were very fortunate to, to have an MOD apprenticeship. Yeah, it was. It was very it was fortunate. I mean, I was probably, you know, I would say very in a lucky position. But when you work for a defence company, um, they, that's the part part and parcel. They supply you with the tools and equipment. I mean, most of the lads that I was um, knocking about with at, at college and stuff had the um, trousers with all the pockets all over. And I was wearing overalls, great big, thick, heavy Nomex overalls, which were flame retardant and, and everything, you know, because all the work that I was doing was in a shipyard, you know, yeah. working on board ships and working in the you know workshops where the ships were being made and everything else like that. So, you know, we it was it was a real proper industry apprenticeship. And, I've actually know, got a full orange set of flame retardant overalls, actually, funny enough, somewhere in the shed again. Um, you don't throw away. I'm a bit of a hoarder. Well, actually, I used to have a shed full of stuff and I did a 12 yard skip empty in my shed in my last house. And yet I've still got loads of stuff in the in the in the shed that I just can't get rid of. Um, so you had a wicked apprenticeship, dude. You had a very fortunate apprenticeship. Would you say it set you up well? It has. It's grounded me a lot with my um, approach to install. I would say with most jobs that I do, I look at them now more methodically than I probably would sort of done when I first started because I look at different ways of how I can achieve the best action. I mean, I've done some dog's dinners. I don't know any electricians if they have, if they have their life, you know. Um, the biggest dog's dinners I did was when I went from like the railway industrial when I was doing domestic house bashing, like the central eating wiring and stuff. When I went back to domestic, I felt like I was doing a new apprenticeship for a period of like 18 months nearly. I felt like I just get comfortable with domestic systems configuration. I know people are listening thinking, what a twat, but um, genuinely going from heavy industrial to domestic, people need to appreciate it is a different world from heavy industrial it really is and i massively massively rate the domestic time served uh house bashing guys to want to ship it because it, it, it's getting more complex and i look at the youtubers who do domestic and i'm and and i know there are loads of industrial guys might say oh yeah it's easy it's, easy. it's not it's not man they graft it's not easy <laughs> It's, it's definitely not e- easy. I mean, I remember I went from, um, I got unfortunately, I got made redundant when the recession kicked in. Um, I'd, lucky I was qualified at that point. Um, but I went and did some house bashing with a ex-college friend. And I remember chasing my first wall and it looked like um, a bomb crater. Yeah, the half the wall falls out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he came into the room and he's like, you know, I, I said about two-way, not literally here and next door you know I was like, i'm really sorry I, I you know i've never done this before and then he took the time and showed me you know like you know did how to do it and and it is such a different thing from going from heavy industry to domestic it is it's a complete different um you know like in america they do different training schemes of they have um in, industrial commercial and residential but you you learn those disciplines and then you hone that skill where you only do that um you know for us, we're very multi, multi-utilitarian. We have to know how to do tray. We have to know how to do, um, you know, uh, motors, how to, you know, install the armoureds, install... Well, you know. that's the challenge, isn't it? Because that now, you now cross the boundaries of what makes an electrician nowadays. And if you, if you, if you just take a, a step back um, and you look at the electricity at work regulations, 
um, which I will do because I've got a copy right here. Um, and, and this is quite a fascinating little item you've just raised, because if I look at Regulation 16, and believe it or not, I just did a podcast the other day where we spoke about what makes an electrician. Um, and Regulation 16, persons to be competent to prevent danger. And it says no person shall be engaged in a work activity where technical knowledge or experience is necessary to prevent danger or where appropriate injury, unless he possesses the, such knowledge or experience or is under a degree of supervision as may be appropriate having the nature to work. It then in the guidance quite clearly states technical knowledge or experience. The scope of technical knowledge may include adequate knowledge of electricity, adequate experience of electrical work, adequate understanding of the system to be worked on. So if you go from industrial to domestic, you don't have adequate knowledge of the system. You're just sitting again. Yeah, wires a wire, blah, blah, blah. That's bravado. That don't mean crap if you injure yourself or someone else. Um, practical experience of that class of system. Um, uh, understanding of the hazards which may arise in the work. Precautions need to be taken. Exporting PME, all that sort of stuff. Industrial guys won't think of that, potentially. Ability to recognise at all times whether it's safe for work to continue. Um I don't think many electricians do that, but we're not going to talk about what makes competence. No. I'm glad you've had a good apprenticeship. Um, do you take on apprentices? Do you train apprentices when you can? Um, when I've worked to um, work for firms, not currently at this current standard, I've not uh, got an apprentice. However, that may change um, later on in the year, depending on how things turn out. Yeah, we um, are in lockdown at the moment, so it's hard for everybody. It's hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, but no, I've, I've have in the past and some of them have gone on to great um, things. I've got one guy who just now just does containment and th he's, he's made a living out of just doing containment. He oh. is a phenomenal containment guy. Have you heard of my most famous apprentice, apparently? No. Thomas Nargi. He, no, he's, he's not my apprentice, by the way, but everyone keeps calling me um, his dad. If, you, if you're on Instagram, every time me and Tom do anything together on Instagram, everyone goes, oh, look, you're dead. So he's now started to call me bloody dad, hasn't he? Um, yeah, there you go. I did see his containment job he did on uh, Instagram. It was very neat what he'd done. Very, very neat. Thank you very much. Well done. <laughs> I, I had some input in that containment job, although I did not appear in his video. Um, because he couldn't put in what I said on that video because it was um, it was lots of effing and jeffing and stuff. No, he actually did sit in his van. So I went I went to his job and and, and gave him a, a little bit of uh, support and advice and friendly help, as we all should do when we need help. Um, right. Last bits um, we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about wholesalers. Do you know what? We don't talk about wholesalers in all the podcasts we've done. So there's two things. One. I can tell you now there will be a wholesaler coming onto this podcast at some point soon because I have uh, sent an invite out to an independent. But if you're a multinational wholesaler like the cities, the Edmondsons, et cetera, WFs, electrics, please, please, please get in touch um, and come on because I'd really like to grill you on the industry and how you perceive it and, and the good work that some wholesalers do and the poor work some wholesalers do um, and an understand. I just want to, you know, I want to debate the views about wholesalers and, and costs and, and various other bits. So please come on. But what is what do you want to talk about when it comes to wholesalers? What's your views? I think it's just this, the, the, um, the, the, the lack of, um, I'd say, equipment now compared to yonder, like, like earlier years. I mean, I remember going into wholesalers where you could pick stuff up off the shelf. You know, you know like I'm talking stock stuff like, yeah bolts, washers those sort of things now you're finding now that they don't yeah. keep it, nope. it's more more geared up for um domestic I'm not not that i'm slandering domestic because obviously that's more of a um i would say profitable market at the moment because it's more smaller independent companies who are going out and in there so if you look at the fact if you've got 20 thomas nardi companies who are out there compared to the one uh, big M&E contractor, they're likely to be spending and getting repeat custom where they get paid quicker than one big M&E contractor. So they're the more favourable people that they're going to keep the material on, you know, on the shelf for. I'm trying to remember the name of that wholesaler that um, really gets me annoyed. Um, there's one wholesaler I went into. They have a catalogue. It's not Screwfix yeah. or TLC. TLC. I have to be careful. I might get a legal letter here. 
Um, they, I went to a TLC. I've been to a number. TLC is some cracking stuff, actually. Um, I like going to the wholesalers, the ones that, you know, when you're buying a drum of armoured and it's like if you're running a single phase circuit, I like the ones that give you brown, blue and green and yellow cores. I can't stand buying armoureds that are three phase colours. I'd rather buy single phase coloured armoureds. I don't like using heat shrink where I don't need to. I won't use insulating tape because that's just stupid. Um, but TLC, you go in there, you queue up. And so many people in there are domestic homeowners asking for advice. And I once queued in there and watched a bloke sell a drum of SY flex and two stuffing glands for a woman who wanted her husband to clip it down the garden fence and wire it into the shed. And this bloke was basically saying, yeah, just put a couple of plug tops on it, love. You'll be fine. And I was like, what are you doing? And and it's stuff like that where you just go. And this, to be honest with you, one, embarrassed me because when I got to the counter, I gave him a bollocking for it. I did. I said to him, why are you selling her that? He was like, what? I said, you've given all the wrong bloody advice. What's it? Is it PME? Is she exporting PME? Why are you using SY Flex? Yeah, it was armoured. It's not freaking armoured. It's not armoured, you moron. Otherwise, it'd be called steel wire armour, wouldn't it, you idiot? It's for connections to motor. It's braided. It's an EMI screen. You. And he didn't know. He didn't know, bless him. But you and I both remember. I remember when I used to go into wholesalers, they always used to have a couple of old boys who'd served their time in the wholesalers and who knew the equipment that they were selling. And I remember going to the wholesalers where the wholesaler would go, uh, can I have a drum of 16 mil um, free core and I'll have a 32 mil CWS? And they'd go, you what? And you'd, and you'd guess you'd go, uh, 32 mil CWS. You sure? Because they'd know the right size gland for the right armoured. And they'd pull you up on it like you're in college. And you'd be like, oh, right. And, and the wholesaler, a good one, saved you from making mistakes. They looked after you. You got to know them. You know, you got them to know them first name. They knew what you wanted. They knew what your regular business was. Do you know what I mean? You could turn around to them and say, uh, I might have a job coming up on um, on a house. I might need one of them double stack MK boards. And he would sit there and overhear that as you're walking out. And he'd have a double stack MK sitting out the back. Just in case. They're the good old sailors. I don't see that anymore. I see them selling to any Tom, Dick or Harry. And just saying, yeah, that'll do, that'll do. And I think... Their duty of care is absolutely gone out the window. Again, Regulation 16. Are they competent to do the work? Are they competent to sell the products? But, but if it was up to me, I would make sure that everybody... I, I, I know a lot of people may disagree with me, but I genuinely believe electrical installation products should only be bought by qualified electricians. And that's not me being protectionist like the gas industry. I'm just saying it should be only bought by people who know what they're doing. Um, and I'd love wholesalers to come on this podcast and discuss it. I really do think there's a debate to be had. And I think whichever uh, wholesaler leads that debate will be the one that wins the hearts and minds of electricians. Can you imagine if a wholesaler said we're only selling the Sparks? Win a lot of hearts and minds of Sparks. Well, I think they would be the one who made your business at the moment because when you have the likes of um, Kingfisher Group who own um, various other small um, and large independent uh, places like Screwfix and B&Q, they have the most astronomic buying power to buy in, um, you know, cable, consumer units, back boxes. Well, look at Screwfix. Look at Screwfix. They're still selling um, split load boards, all the old 17th edition stuff. Um, you know, they've. I think in the last few months they've started putting surge protection in. Their buying power is massive. The trouble is, is they're selling all their old toot. Mm. And this is where you can stand at a Screwfix and look at all the electricians going and buying all the old boards on cheap, and you just think, you're part of the problem, not the solution. You're part of the race to the bottom because you're going to charge 300 nickel for that board you've bought for 70 quid, split load board. You're not going to consider any of the connected loads. You're just going to whip it out, whack it in, probably run off and never do a certificate. Absolutely. They think they've got a bargain. They've got RCD protection. Jobs are good. No, it's not a good one. It's awful. But I, I do think like I do think now modern um, new new electricians coming into the industry are now uh, not as spoilt as compared to how you know late later years like yourself and myself who did it when we did our apprenticeships i mean you look at the fact that we had fantastic brands out there you know mk which were solid they were built like a you know a brick shithouse you know the the, the distribution boards and consumer units mk um, were the rulers of the world now honest to god they are the bottom of the pile now for quality of their brand it's yeah. bottom and they're down the road from me in south end and yeah their manufacturing may be great but they have changed the materials in their metals they've changed the quality of their plastics and anyone who installs their stuff 10 years ago and now 
will tell you straight away it's not the same product. It's the same as same as when you put when you tighten up the um, wiring accessories. I've always found that you've had to put a turn on first and then unwind it. Otherwise, it, it just the thread's not cut. Cross thread, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. It would cross thread. Amount of the amount of MK. You go and buy their thirty pound USB sockets, and the minute you get them out of the bag and you start putting them on, and straight away half of the screws would just cross thread, and you're like, "This is a thirty pound product." They are selling a reduced quality product at their same high prices dining out on their old reputation and it's fairly evident to anyone who uses their products and the fact that they walked away from circuit breaker distribution is an absolute they i don't think they realize the kick in the teeth to electricians who have been loyal to them for decades what that does the fact that they're not making breakers anymore um is a real statement of them to the electrical industry i mean it's sad yeah it's it's sad i mean i I spoke to um a guy at one of the um uh, trade show live with the mk rep and i said to him oh, is, oh hey you're not making consumer units anymore and he, he was like yeah yeah we, we've kind of left the market since this spd um, came in we were too late to the party I was like it's still time can you not jump in and be part of the party no no there's we're, no we're profit not, in it there isn't um but you know most of the suppliers now are more interested in getting in what's the cheapest product because that's what attracts their clientele at the moment and i, I think that's the, the really sorry state of affairs like cheap leds cheap consumer units cheap wiring accessories cheap cable you know it, it's a real shame because most of the stuff that they that they're getting in is is just imported like rubbish it's nothing you know it's shy of like good craftsmanship or workmanship that goes into making them i mean i bought even top end boards like Hager, I've had where they've had no, um, they've mis, um, been missprayed with paint. Uh, the stickers have not been straight. Um, you know, little things like that. I mean, when you're paying like two hundred pound for these boards and they've and they've missed out things that are quite important, you know, you just feel like, well, why am I paying this two hundred quid? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we could probably do. Um, we could probably do a podcast just on like British General and like the likes of Luden and some other companies to want to show you on on the issues that we might have with some of their designs and their products and stuff. But oh, overall, uh, yes, it's sad. I think it's more heartbreaking for people the MK stuff. But um, wholesalers, eh? There are there are there are a few things. I'll leave you with this note, Paul, though, but I do know that Schneider are now selling their old stock to um, the Acti-9 old stock at Screwfix now. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll have a word with Sean and, and Deepak about that. Yeah. In all fairness, I actually buy all my stuff is um, Schneider. All my accessories is um, the Schneider Elise range, which you can buy at Screwfix, and I love them. Um, I did a, my USB video um, where I, I thermal image. That was my socket. I, I think the quality of them is just, it's basic. The quality of them is what MK used to be. Yes. Uh, in my personal opinion, they are a wonderful socket out, sturdy socket out to fit. They look great. They're very good. The way they position the USBs. I love it. I think it's, they're really, really, really good. Um, right. On the last note, because um, we'll wind this down now. Three wishes. So obviously, wholesale. We've spoken about wholesalers, spoken about apprenticeships, your favourite things in the industry, the worst things in the industry. If you had three wishes for the electrical industry, what would they be? I would say the first one would be more female engineers in higher positions. Oh, really? No. Oh, I didn't mean that in a negative. I didn't mean that in a negative way, by the way. No, no, um, I, I do mean it. I, I think, I think the, the, I was brought up just by my mum. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she she does it does a fantastic job. You know, she's a um, conservation scientist um, right. for the Mary Rose um, ship. Um, so she's re- reconstructed all the artifacts. And there's not many people who do her job. It's a very male orientated industry. But she's like the only female in that industry. So to see more um you know a female electrician not necessarily the domestic sector but more coming into the commercial industrial sector and even the design sector and, and stuff like that i mean from my experience i haven't seen too many but i would like to see more coming into that that's one, one of my wishes 
Yeah, I mean, in the railways, we've got loads of women in senior positions anyway. Um, when you go in commercial industrial, women are everywhere. And they're appearing more and more and more in senior in roles at a rate of unbelievable speed. Unbelievable speed. And I think that's probably testament to all of the various um, campaigns. You know, I mean, it's been like Women Engineer of the Year, Women in Construction, Women in This. So there's been lots and lots of positive think i'm i'm do you know what i don't care if you are pink brown asian black minority ethnic uh, he her they them she it whatever for me it's if you're competent to do the job and do you know what the worst the best thing is is i work with two women um as well as two other blokes and the two women i work with are some of the most amazing women i've ever worked with and they are i mean one of them actually says to me oh i don't have your level of knowledge and every time she says that to me i always say bollocks far i look up to her for the way she works her work ethic her level of diligence and detail i could never do she has so many skills and so much going to for her it's mind-blowing so yeah i don't disagree with this i've worked with some fantastic women over the years and some fantastic engineers and managers over the years who are ladies but i don't really care what they what they are i've never never looked at it like that the only difference between the ladies and the men is i've always mind my manners a bit more around the ladies um just just because I was raised that way, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. I mean, you know, I was, I was brought up um, in the way that, you, you know, you respect to you know, the women and, and treat like it, you know, them in, in the same ways how you expect to be treated. So, you know, it doesn't matter what sex you are. I treat people how you like to be treated. Okay, so that's your first wish. More women in the industry at various levels. Um uh, on that note, we should probably say hello to Karen Boom if she's listening. Hi, Karen, because she's a, a fierce lady. I mean that in a positive light um, in our industry um, on social media. She's electric. Um, what's your second wish? Longer apprenticeships. Oh, I love you. I love you so much. That's awesome. Yes. Yes, please. I'd like to see the apprenticeships that I did because they don't exist anymore. So minimum five years? Five years, I would say, yeah. I agree. And uh, I'm agreeing I'm breaking lots of people's hearts because there's lots of ways into the industry. And I'm not talking about people who are working qualified in the industry. I'm talking about those people that join. If we're ever going to improve the industry, we need to make that learning experience very, very concise and give them the time to grow and develop in a controlled and safe manner under the correct supervision to grow and develop and acknowledge your own competence. So five-year apprenticeship gets my vote all the time. Um, three years of college, you leave college. I'm sorry, you should, if I was a college lecturer, I'd be saying at the end of three years, you're going to go out to the workplace now to continue developing your skills. Do not dare call yourself an electrician for at least a couple of years. Absolutely. Um, but th Three years now, is it? Three years is the college, yeah. Tops. I did three years. But I remember when I finished college, my foreman said to me, you ain't, you ain't qualified, boy. We'll tell you when you've finished your time. And they did. They literally did. Because I literally got told, oh, by the way, you've got to come to this pub in Camden in two weeks' time. Why is that? Oh, it's your, it's your coming out of your time due. Oh, right. Oh, OK. <laughs> I was told. That was, that was it. And then my foreman got so drunk, he got thrown out. Um, but there you go. Um, OK. Second wish. What's your third? These are good wishes, by the way. Some of the best yeah. ones here. I would th third one. Um, I, okay, this is this is for me as a as a, as a person. Yeah, go for my it. third wish. I would like to see um, more people with um, learning disabilities, like dyslexia. I'm dyslexic. I've obviously okay. spoken about it in the past. I'd like to see more people going for higher education and not to be put off by it. Yeah, um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I, um, my, I think if I, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever been diagnosed dyslexic or anything, but I have a massive problem with maths. I don't actually know how I qualified in into college as an electrician because my maths was so bad. Um, I couldn't string. I, well, I could do. It's weird. I can do. When I left college, I could do the maths required to do my job. I couldn't do the. In, I could do a cable calc now, pretty much off the top of my head, and know what to do and how to hand write it out. But that was more muscle memory and brain memory. I can do the adiabatic. I can do the stuff I need to get along 
and work out fault levels and all that sort of transposition. Intense calculations, vector diagrams. No, I'd need to look at Joe's um, YouTube videos and refresh all that and just go, oh, my God, how rusty I am. Um, but, yeah, no, I um, I don't disagree. I once worked one of the best electricians I worked with that impressed me the most. Um, I worked with him for about six months doing domestic stuff. And it turned out he was colorblind. No one knew. He was sacked for being colorblind. Um, he went and did a medical and they they basically turned up at a team meeting one day. And we went, well, where's, um, where's Phil? And everyone was like, oh, no, we had to sack him. Why'd you sack him? Oh, yeah, he's medical. Well, what happened? Is he a druggie? No, 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 he was colorblind. We were like, what? He was colorblind. And we were like, well, and? He never did a bad job. We looked at his work. He did a good job, but. It was the first time I'd ever heard of a colorblind spark. And he, I spoke to him for about three or four years afterwards. Um, he carried on working as a job in spark, but I doubt very much he ever told anybody again, because obviously it cost him a really good job and a pension and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with that. To be honest with you, I don't disagree with that. Um, okay. So these are your free wishes. Well, they were quite good ones. Thank you. They were good ones. They're probably the best ones of all the people I've asked, actually. They're probably the best ones because m- m- most people just go a million pound, fix all the problems in the industry or, you know, something really just overwhelmingly obvious. Um, they were quite they were quite sincere and from the heart. OK. All right. Well, listen, we're going to end this. Um, so thank you very much, Tom. Um, for those who are listening um, again, Tom's uh, debut is on Hit the Lights, episode eight. If you want to know more about him, where can we find you on social media, Tom? Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that's Bickerton Electrical. Yep, that's Bickerton Electrical. Um, Some of your uh, stuff is excellent, by the way. I've seen it. I've seen your pictures. They're really good quality work. So, on the goodness. <laughs> right. Any last final thoughts or messages for everyone before we cut this off? Stay positive. I like the electrical reference there. Stay positive, not negative. DC. Anyway, right. (laughs) Terrible late night puns. Um, Well, you know the usual. Um, Tom, thank you very much. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. For those who are listening not in the UK, because I checked something on my podcast, we've got people listening around the world, which is quite strange. Canada and all sorts. So hello, everyone listening around the world. Um, for the 16 different countries that that have downloaded this Um, and until the next one thank you very much for listening take care of yourself and each other bye bye